On your chairs, you'll notice there is a My Worry List. I want you to pull that out because we're going to use it today. Today's interactive a little bit. So if you'd pull that out, that would be great. Also, if you want to find where we're going to be, we're going to be in the 121st Psalm. So if you have a Bible with you or you have a device, you want to find it. My worry list is kind of an interactive thing. So when I pray or when I'm reading my Bible, a lot of times I'll have a list with me and I'll just write down stuff I want to remember or things that I want to pray about. Because um, when I'm... When I'm reading, a lot of times that distracts me if I think of something, so I just write it down. So today, what we're going to do is, during this sermon, there might be things that God prompts you to think about that you're worried about, and you're going to write that down. And at the end of the service, we're going to have um, we're going to give God a worry offering, and I'll tell you how that works a little bit later. I already put down some things on my worry list. Uh, I'm worried that on Tuesday the, uh, is the election, and what are we going to do without all those political ads? I, I love them so much. I'm going to miss that. Uh, yard work, I mean, it's like I can't do yard work now, so what am I going to do with all my free time? Uh, I'm worried Kentucky's going to beat Georgia in a couple of weeks, and uh, it's going to mess up the whole college football thing. So I, I've got worries, and I'm sure you have worries that are much more serious than that. All right, so Miriam, every morning, my wife every morning asks me a question, and I have to, I have to tell you it's a little unnerving. Because she asks me the same thing every morning. She'll say, how'd you sleep? Now, it seems innocuous on the face of it, but think about three-year-olds never ask each other, how was your nap? I mean, you know, so it's actually part of getting old. It's almost like she's surprised I did wake up. It's like, how'd you sleep? Three ways you know you're getting old. Uh, when you get out of a, a chair and you groan uncontrollably, you, you just make noises that you really don't want to make. You know, uh, if you're driving in the car and you're talking to yourself and nobody's in the car, you know you're old. And when somebody starts asking you, how'd you sleep? You know that you're getting old because it's like, hey, what's the quality of your sleep? And, and it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm a little surprised that you got up. So um, it is a little unnerving for me and I get it every day. But I pretty much apply this to my sleep life. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell and safety. I've always been able to sleep pretty well. I don't worry about a ton of stuff. Um, they say ignorance is bliss, and so I'm, uh, you know, kind of pegging the needle on the ignorance scale. So uh, it's not that big a deal. But here's what happens, and we're in a series called Gratitude. We just started it, but one of the things we need to understand is that worry and gratitude don't mix. I think I like this picture because there's a storm coming in, and if you're not careful, you start to worry. And so, today we're going to look at this 20, 121st Psalm, and it is this, it's called a Psalm of Ascent. And it was something that they would, is a song they would sing, the Jewish people would sing, when they were going from wherever they lived to Jerusalem for one of the feasts. So there are seven feasts that are prescribed every year in the Jewish calendar, a lot of them are close together. And the notion was, if you can make it to Jerusalem for this worship service, you should try. And so a lot of times people are, uh, they would, they would uh, sing these psalms, these songs, on the way up to Jerusalem. And I was thinking about, you know, we've got songs of travel, you know, like uh, uh, that Rascal Flat song, Life is a Highway. That, I mean, that's a song you want to get in the car and drive around or... Uh, uh, Lord, I was, or, I was born a rambling man. I mean, you know, that's kind of a, a song of ascent. And so 
David pins this psalm to the people who are traveling from, you know, out in the country to come into Jerusalem for, um, for a, a party, for a, a celebration or a feast. And it is, it's really, it's as beautiful, as you're, we're going we're gonna to unpack it, we'll read it in a second, then we'll unpack it. But it's beautiful because it is this casting of our cares onto God so that we can live a life uh, un. Incum, uh, unburdened, unencumbered by all the worry in life. Now, one of my kind of spiritual heroes is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I, I've mentioned him a few times. Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany about the time that Hitler rose to power. And Bonhoeffer was very, one of the very few Christians who stood up and denounced the things Hitler was doing. And he was subsequently imprisoned and he, he suffered for his, not just his faith, but he suffered for his stance on politics. In fact, it's really a interest, Bonhoeffer's an interesting character. He was so um, convinced that Hitler was bad and was bad for his nation that he was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler as a, as a preacher. Um, I don't know that I would do that. You know, I, how, con, how convicted would you have to be to be a part of that? And yet, I mean, history shows he was right in his assessment. And he was willing to face a lot of trials because of it. I mean, Hitler was really not very gracious. Uh, you know, when, people, when he found out people were against him, he just sort of had a tendency to kill them. And here's Bonhoeffer. And he, and he says something about life. That just, considering who he is, it's just amazing. He says, Worry is the concern of unbelievers who rely on their own strength and their own work, but not on God. Non-believers are worriers because they do not know that the Father knows what they need already. Now, I don't know that I'm there. I mean, that is, <laughs> that is a challenge to me. So let's look at this psalm and let's see if we maybe can get there. All right, so let's look at it and then we'll break it down a little bit. A song of ascent, that means again they're coming from someplace to Jerusalem. And he writes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? This is a kind of a common psalm. Many people know this one. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber indeed. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. And the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And the Hebrew way of thinking, and even in the songs that we sing, they paint these pictures and so let's look at the picture that's being painted in this particular psalm. The first thing we want to notice about worry is it's wrong focused. And when it says, I lift up my eyes, he's saying, I'm taking note of something. So at my house, we have a lot of windows. We have a big window in the backyard, and uh, we're surrounded by woods. And every once in a while, there'll be deer kind of grazing in the backyard, in the front yard too, but mostly in the backyard. You'll, I, I kind of know. So I'll be walking around and, and I'll be doing something and all of a sudden my attention is arrested when I see that there's a deer out back 
in, in the yard. And it's really, really cool. And sometimes they'll hear you inside, they'll look at you, and you kind of have a staring contest through the window. That's awesome. And I know some of you, um, uh, some of you um, sinners want to kill them, uh, but uh, uh, that's okay. I mean, God forgives all sin, and, and so it's all right, it's all right. And, uh, but, but, I, but I notice them. And if I'm driving, you know, I'm driving around, and, and I see a deer, I notice it. And the one thing about in my house, if I see deer outside, I watch my attention is arrested, you know, and that's when it says, I lift up my eyes, what he's saying is my attention is arrested. And this language is used throughout the Bible. Uh, God was talking to Abraham one time, and Abraham was his chosen person, and, and he was going to bless all nations through Abraham. And God says to Abraham, lift up your eyes and look at the countryside and everything you see, north, south, east, west, I'm going to give that to you. Lift up your eyes. See this blessing. I want you to notice what I'm about to bless you with. That's kind of the language that he uses. And there's a story about Rebecca. Now, Rebecca was this young woman, and she was going uh, from her hometown to a new place, and she was about to meet. Uh, back then, it was different. They had kind of arranged a marriage for her with a, a, a dude, and, and so she was, she, was, um, she was being traveled, she was being caravaned to her new home and her future husband that she'd never met before. And so they're kind of a distance away, and she notices her future husband. She doesn't know who he is just yet. And she says, it's, the Bible says, she lifted up her eyes, and she said, who is this striking figure of a man? And ladies, those of you who are wives, those of you who are engaged, how many of you, when you saw your husband for the first time, you, you said to yourself, uh, who is that striking figure of a man? If you don't have your hands up right now, you're really stupid. Uh, uh, I'm trying to help you out. I really am I'm giving you an opportunity. Uh, and, and so that language is in Scripture. Hey, hey, um, the, uh, lift up. Here's the, here's, the, here's the point. I choose where my focus goes. I choose. I don't have to look at the deer. I can lower the blinds if I want to. I don't have to look. I choose what I dwell on. And in life, I choose what I dwell on. I can, I can dwell on my worries. I can dwell on my problems. I can think about them over and over again. I can chew on them like a cow chews on a cud. I mean, I, I can roll them over and over and over again in my mind. I can choose to worry. I don't have to. And that's the point. I lift up my eyes. And then it says, to the hills. Now, I kind of like hills. My people are named after the hills. You know, it's like, uh, we're billies of the hills. I mean, it's like, so uh, th those are my people. But understand something. If you're traveling in the Middle East, you kind of don't like the hills because that's where, you know, the bandits can hide. They can't really hide on a plane. It's hard to see. You see everything on a plane. But if there are hills and valleys and hollers, you know, there are places to hide. And so when he says, I lift my eyes to the hills, he's saying, I'm looking at the things that are causing me problems. This language is all throughout Scripture. In fact, Isaiah is talking about heaven, and he says this, fill in the valleys, level the mountains and the hills, straighten the curves smooth out the rough places. 
He is basically saying heaven is going to look like Kansas. Uh, it's flat and there's no hills. And, and what he's saying is there's no reason to be afraid. There's nowhere somebody who wants to harm you can hide. I lift my eyes to the hills. And I have this ability to focus on what I want to focus on. So we've got this list and we're writing down things and we're thinking of, of things that are causing us worry. And they usually fall in categories. It's money problems. A lot of people have money problems. They've got more month and money. I think that happens. And with inflation right now, super easy to, to worry about your finances. Some people worry about their job. They, they have one that they don't like or they don't have one and would like one or they don't get enough hours or they get too many hours. They don't like who they work with. The boss is a jerk, you know. Family problems. A lot of people would write down a family problem. I'm having an issue with, you know, my people. My kids are running amok or... My parents are running amok, or my spouse is crazy. You know, we write something down. Sometimes we have health issues, and we're just not where we want to be with our health. Sometimes it's emotional or relational. And so, our hills, when we look to the hills, your hill and my hill might be different, but we all have problems. And so when he says, I lift my eyes to the hills, there are people who walk around and they just, they're always looking down because they have just, just a burden, this weight, this, this worry that they pack around with them like a backpack. The German word for worry is vergen. It means to choke. And I was going to say, turn to the person next to you, uh, you know, and uh, gently squeeze. But I was, I was worried uh, that uh, uh, you might take it too far. Uh, but but the, the word literally means to choke, and that's what happens with worry. It chokes the joy out of your life. And it's just not God's plan for you. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So the second thing that we need to know about worry is it's never God's will for your life. So, here's the answer. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I think he says he's the maker of heaven and earth for a very specific reason. The God who can create all things from nothing can certainly deal with any problem we might have. And here's the thing about problems. I don't always see them coming, but God has never one time in his life said, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't anticipate that. That's, that's shocking. I'm shocked a lot. God is never shocked. Never surprises him what happens in our lives. And the word help, where does my help come from? It's this beautiful word in, in Hebrew. It's uh, azar. And Moses had a son, and he named him Eleazar. God, El, Ele, uh, is my helper, Eleazar. God wants to be 
our helper. Because here's something that we really, really, really have to understand. Honestly, I am not really in control. We're not really in control. We ought to say it together. I am not really in control. Say it with me. I am not really in control. Can you control your, your health? To a degree, yeah. I mean, you can eat right. You can exercise. You can you know, take the prescriptions your doctor uh, tells you you need to stay healthy. Uh, you can go for your annual checkup. I mean, you can do lots of things... But Father Time has a way of winning. You might have some victories. You might, you know, you might be 50, but you look 40. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You ever heard of this guy? His name is Jim Fix. He wrote that book, The Complete Book of Running. He wrote that in 1977. He was sort of on the cusp of, uh, in America of the health movement. And he talked about how um, beneficial it was to run and to eat right and to have uh, regular exercise. And really, he talked a lot about how jogging was so good for you. And he, was jo he would jog. Jim Fix was out jogging one day, 52 years old, died of a heart attack. <laughs> I mean, we're just really not in control. Pete Maravich was this great basketball player. He played college ball at LSU. He played in the NBA. He was amazing. He played, I mean, to, to be a basketball player, your level of fitness is off the charts. And he retired, and he was playing in a pickup game, and he died of a massive heart attack because he had a, a heart defect that nobody had ever even diagnosed. One day, he's on the court... And then he expires. One day he's taking a jog. And while he's running, he expires. We are just not in control. Can you control the economy? <laughs> no. You can save and you can do all the right things. All the right things. You can have a, a rainy day fund. And you can save for retirement. And this year, Americans have lost $9 trillion in savings in the market. $9 trillion, down 22%. You can do all the right things. And as the great theologian, notorious B.I.G. once sang, more money, more problems. The more you have... The more you worry about, how am I going to make payroll? What am I going to do with this? How am I going to keep it safe? I have never actually ever quoted Notorious B.I.G. before. It's revolutionary for me. So, very good, very good. Can you change your spouse? <laughs> it's not an ambiguous question. Uh, really, uh, there is an answer to this, and the answer is no, you can't. I mean, we're just really not in control. We'd like to be in control. And God can change your spouse's spouse. But we're just not in control. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want to be. In fact, my next slide says, I'd really rather just trust me. I would rather lean into my intellect and my strengths and my gifts and my education and my skills and my finances and my network and my personality. I'd like to lean into me. 
But eventually, we're going to look to the hills, and the hill is going to be bigger than anything we can handle. It's going to be more than we can handle. It's just going to be too big. Where does my help come from? Well, here's the antidote to worry. I want you to notice something. There's a key phrase in here. We're going to find, I mean, you're, I think you're going to pick up on it. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over you, over Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. <laughs> he is watching over you. In fact, in this little psalm, it says God is watching us six times. Six times, he says, God is watching over you. Now, understand something. This doesn't mean you get everything you want. As you mature in Christ, there comes a point where there are certain things you know God wants. I know when I pray for people who are lost, God wants to answer that prayer. The Bible says, He is not s slow. <laughs> Uh, in keeping his promises, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I know without question, God wants people to come to repentance. So when I pray for that, I know I am in alignment with God. I know that he wants my relationship with him to grow and to strengthen. When I pray that, I know I'm in alignment with him. But there are sometimes I pray for stuff, I'm not real sure. I mean, I don't know if God wants me to have a new car. I don't know if God wants me to have a new something else. I don't know that. I'll pray for it because I think we have a relationship and I can ask. But I don't know always that I'm going to get that. But I do know this. Whatever happens, God is watching over me. When I was just newly married, Miriam and I had been married a couple of years, and um, about three years in, we had our first child, uh, our daughter Amaris, our oldest and only child at the time. And we lived in Dallas. I was a youth pastor. And uh, Dallas, if you, uh, I mean, if you've ever been there much in the summer, in the summer it's really hot. And you can go days and days and days of 100 degrees or more. And it was one of those hot spells. And it had been 100 for seven or eight days in a row. And I had Amaris in the back seat in her car seat. And, and I had stopped at church. And, and I was driving a hoopty, you know, kind of a beater. Because we were in seminary. We didn't have a lot of money. And I, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, I had a lot on my mind. Uh, I got out of the car. And I inadvertently locked it with my keys in it and my baby in it. And we've all had those moments where this fear just sort of washes us and you get cold chills and I'm, I start to think, how do I fix this? I check every door, every door is locked. Every window's up. Um, I'm thinking, okay, which window do I break? I'm gonna have to break a window. And about that time, our custodian, he was from Laos, his name was Busan. He spoke very little English, but he could read body language. And he noticed my state of panic. And Busan came out, and he assessed the situation, and I told him what it was, and I'm fairly certain he had no idea what I said. And he goes inside the church and comes out with a coat hanger. Busan must have also been lifting cars, because... Uh, he got that sucker open in about 15 seconds. It was unbelievable how fast he got it open. 
And, man, I, I grabbed up Amaris in my arms, and, you know, inside I'm saying, Lord, thank you that she's so little she won't remember this. And I said, Lord, thank you that Busan doesn't speak English and he, she, he won't be able to tell Miriam. You know, it's like, uh, she'll never know, which is really important, you know. And it was one of those moments where God watched over me. The story doesn't always end that well, you know, it doesn't always end that well. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. But God watches over us. My father-in-law was the smartest man I think I've ever met. I'm not sure he was ever in a room where he wasn't the smartest guy in the room. There's no telling what his IQ was. He spoke several languages. He taught in seminary theological German. He taught theological Greek. Um, he, when he would come to church, he would bring his Greek New Testament. <laughs> I can't even read the English, uh, you know, half the time. He brought the Greek. Um, his hobby was translating theological German into English. Uh, <laughs> my hobby is, uh, you know, getting the leaves out of the, uh, uh, out of the gutter. Uh, he, he was just brilliant. And he, he was always... He was always... He, you know, he, he built his life on his brilliance. He was a professor, he had a doctorate, he was, his side hustle was translating German into English. He was a marvel of intellect, until he wasn't. And one day, he starts to forget things. And before you know it, dementia sets in, Alzheimer's sets in. He doesn't even know who we are for a while. I remember going to see him and he didn't know who I was and he started speaking German to me. <laughs> I'm like, Siggy, you're going to have to talk English. I don't know German. He didn't know. We just don't know about this life. But God's watching us. I don't have any doubt God didn't understand or know what was going on. I don't understand or know what was going on. So there's a point in your life where you get to a place where you say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I trust you anyway. I still don't understand that. I still don't get it. I still trust Him. Because I believe He watches us. And He knows. There's language throughout this little psalm. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. It's comprehensive. It's this every moment idea. It says the, the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. And you're thinking, alright, two things here. The sun can harm you by day. If you're in a very arid environment like the Middle East, the sun could give you heat stroke or it could cause you great thirst. I mean, the sun is dangerous in daytime. But how will this, the moon harm me at night? I'm glad you ask. Because 
In the Hebrew mind, the, the moon was associated with mental impairment, interestingly enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect that in just a second. So uh, you'll see language in Scripture occasionally that somebody has sort of um, lost, lost it mentally, and they'll, they'll use the language in some translations, they were moonstruck. Well, we do it too in English. We, we, the moon is lunar, and the word lunatic, same roots. It's kind of that same idea that those things are from the same... Uh, same. So it's like, even when I'm going crazy, and that's some of us, I'm not going to point you out, but uh, there's some of us, that's me sometimes. Have you ever been in a situation where you're pulling your hair out because you just don't know what to do? Well, that's what he's talking about. Sun by day, the moon by night. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. Always, always in Scripture, when he talks about the right hand, the right hand in Scripture is the, the hand of power. And I know you left-handed people don't like that. Um, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just telling you what it says. Uh, uh, the right hand symbolically means power. So if I'm important... I have my advisors on my right-hand side. If I'm important and powerful, I would have my bodyguards on my right-hand side. And so what he's saying is, he is strong for you. And then it uses language. He will not let your foot slip. Now, where we typically go with this, and again, you have to understand the Hebrew mind to get this exactly right, we think, okay, I'm walking, and I'm, you know, I'm walking on a path, and it's, there's a big drop-off here. I don't want to slip, because if I slip here, that's really going to be dangerous. And that happens sometimes. Uh, once I was, my first pastor was Bergen, Kentucky, a little bitty town, one four-way stop. That's all we had. Um, Bergen, Kentucky, it was a Sunday morning. There was a little ice on, it was winter, there was a little ice on the parking lot. And so I was young, and I, I was out, and uh, I was helping people, older folks, get in uh, from their cars uh, into the sanctuary. And so there was one little lady, her name was Miss Scott. She was so sweet. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories. I went to Miss Scott, and I said, Miss Scott, would you want some help getting in? And she could see it was a little, a little glassy out there. And she said, sure, help me. And so, so she took my arm, and we took two steps, and the next thing I see is sky. I mean, we, we were on our backs, on the ground. I mean, we hit hard. And we're both laying there. What do you do? I mean, you're like in the church parking lot on the ground with a little old lady. Uh, and she, <laughs> I look at her, and she looks at me, and she said, don't help me anymore. <laughs> it's easy to slip. We slip all the time. But this isn't exactly what he's talking about. He's really talking about this idea that um, I know the right thing to do, but sometimes I don't do it. There's language around this in Scripture too. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can you imagine how uh, old-fashioned, envying prosperous people. <laughs> Nobody does that today. Uh, but uh, evidently that was something that happened in the ancient world. They envied prosperous people. And so we know the right thing to do. He almost slipped. And so this says, God is with us and he won't let our feet slip. 
Because here's what we really have to understand. Nothing eternal is at risk. Jesus has promised us he will guard us and keep us. Nothing eternal is at risk. We've just come off this series on heaven. It helps me focus because this existence isn't all there is. In fact, this is hardly what there is. Eternity is it's really, really long. It's going to take a long time. Nothing eternal is at risk. Everything temporal is at risk. Our bodies, our minds, possessions, everything temporal is at risk. Nothing eternal is at risk. So Paul is this brilliant follower of Jesus and he writes much of the New Testament and he says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword it's like everything you can think of that's negative all those things that think that we think God isn't here because these things are happening he says no in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we are not cushioned, but we are kept. We're not cushioned. Sometimes life beats you down pretty good. I got this little bump on my nose, this little scratch. I was putting a box away and it fell and hit me in the face. And I was trying to think of a really good story, you know, like, uh, uh, like somebody said, uh, you know, uh, Clemson ain't any good. And I said, yes, they are. And he you know, got in a fight. Uh, wasn't that? Wasn't that. Um, I just got hit by a box two days in a row. <laughs> same box, same lid came off, hit me in the same place. I'm going to give it a, a go today. Uh, you know, it's like I, I'll see if I can get it right one time. Sometimes we lead ourselves into stupid stuff. We're not cushioned. God doesn't take all those dumb decisions that we make away. But he does keep us right through them. He keeps us right through them. I mentioned Bonhoeffer earlier. Bonhoeffer was engaged but never married. He had a close-knit family, but he went to prison he was executed just weeks before the Third Reich fell. But he said something quite profound near the end of his life. In ordinary life, he said, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give and that it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. We can worry or we can trust. So you have a worry list. We're going to be interactive today. In just a second, we're going to take your worry list, and maybe you need to write a couple more things down. Maybe God's brought some things to mind. And I'm going to step back here, and I'm going to bow my head, and if you would bow your head reverently, and we're going to play some music. And if you want, if you feel compelled, you can carry this with you out of this room. It's your choice. Or you can take your list of worries and you can lay them on the altar. It's your choice. Because the Bible tells us this. God cares for 
you. So turn all your worries over to him. So symbolically, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you want to bring them, bring them now. Dustin, will you play? It's a bunch of worries. One of the things I'm thankful for is that God isn't shocked by anything that we confess or leave with Him. So the guy that writes this particular verse is named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was eventually arrested sentenced to be crucified. He didn't want to be crucified like Jesus because he didn't find himself, didn't think himself worthy. So according to church history, he requested to be crucified upside down. And yet, he writes, God cares for you. So turn all your worries over to Him. In a world of persecution, constant danger, the followers of Jesus throughout the centuries haven't always avoided trouble, but they've known there's no sense in worrying about it. God's in control and He watches over each one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these worries that You've given us. And thank You for taking them away. Lord, if there was never a hard time, we wouldn't need You. And so, in the midst of difficulty, we thank You 
not maybe so much for the problems, but that you see us through the problems. We lay them at your feet. We leave them at the altar. And when we walk out the door, we are confessing that we trust you with our worries. We love you. We want to honor you with our lives. And we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.